independent and invisible, remarkable or unremarked upon, défense d'affiché, do not advertise, and yet there she is, elle s'affiche, she shows herself, she shows up against the city. Flanusing Where did I first come across that word, flaneur? So singular, so elegant and French with its arched A and its curling U. I know it was when I was studying in Paris, back in the 1990s, but I don't think I found it in a book. I didn't do much required reading that semester. I can't say for sure, which is to say I became a flaneur before I knew what one was, wandering the streets round my school, located as American universities in Paris must be, on the left bank. From the French verb flâner, the flâneur, or one who wanders aimlessly, was born in the first half of the nineteenth century, in the glass and steel-covered passage of Paris. When Haussmann started slicing his bright boulevards, through the dark, uneven crusts of houses like knives through a city of cindered chèvres, the flaneur wandered those too, taking in the urban spectacle. A figure of masculine privilege and leisure, with time and money and no immediate responsibilities to claim his attention, the flaneur understands the city as few of its inhabitants do, for he has memorized it with his feet. Every corner, alleyway, and stairway has the ability to plunge him into rêverie. What happened here? Who passed by here? What does this place mean? The flaneur, attuned to the chords that vibrate throughout his city, knows without knowing. In my ignorance, I think I thought I invented flanerie. Coming from suburban America, where people drive from one place to another, walking for no particular reason was a bit of an eccentric thing to do. I could walk for hours in Paris and never get anywhere. Looking at the way the city was put together, glimpsing its unofficial history here and there, a bullet in the façade of an hôtel particulier, leftover, stenciling way up on the side of a building for a flower company, or a newspaper that no longer existed, which some inspired graffiti artist had used as an invitation to add his own work, or a row of cobblestones revealed by roadworks, several layers below the crust of the current city, slowly rising ever upward. I was on the lookout for residue, for texture, for accidents and encounters and unexpected openings. My most meaningful experience with the city was not through its literature, its food, or its museums, not even through the soul-scarring affair I carried on in a garret near the Bourse, but through all that walking. Somewhere in the sixth arrondissement I realized I wanted to live in a city for the rest of my life, and specifically, in the city of Paris. It had something to do with the utter, total freedom unleashed from the act of putting one foot in front of the other. I wore a groove into the boulevard Montparnasse, as I came and went between my flat on the Avenue de Saxe and school on the Rue de Chevreuse. I learned non-textbook French from the names of the restaurants in between, Les Azus 
named for a kind of jazzy 1940s hepcat in a plaid blazer and a quiff. Restaurant Sud-Ouest NC, which taught me the French equivalent of and company, and from a bakery called Pomme de Pain. I learned the word for pinecone, Pomme de Pain, though I never learned why that was a pun worth making. I bought orange juice on the way to class every day at a pretzel shop called Duchesse Anne, and wondered who she was and what was her relationship to pretzels. I pondered the distorted French conception of American geography that resulted in a Tex-Mex restaurant called Indiana Café. I walked past all the great cafés lining the boulevard, La Rotonde, Le Select, Le Dôme, and La Coupole, watering holes to generations of American writers in Paris, whose ghosts hunched under café awnings, unimpressed with the way the twentieth century had turned out.